Hallelujah. Well, Wednesdays are Discipleship Wednesdays. Is that correct, Professor Edmund? So today is a day of discipleship. I want you to turn with me to the book of Isaiah, chapter 6. And I'm tasked to talk to you about the call of God, the call of God, the call of God, the call of God. I want to honor my, first of all, my life partner, my wife who's here with me, Charlene, praise God. We've been married 30, almost 31 years now. Praise the Lord. Amen. So God has helped us. And I want to thank God for all of my colleagues and peers here at North Central. And can I just tell you, I love what I do. Amen. I love what I do. I love this season of life the Lord has us in. Amen. Would you just stand with me and let's just take a minute and can we just worship the Lord? I know we're not having a worship service, but can we just, as we approach the word of the Lord, can we just begin to just fill this place with the sound of worship? Amen. Can you just lift your hands to the Lord and just begin to think about your life? And think about the fact that the Lord said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Amen. That all that it took, the grace of God to get you to this place in your life and for this moment. Because of your faithfulness to the call of God on your life. Come on. Would you just allow us? I know we are accustomed to having music and singers but there are sometimes just the organic confession and profession of the people of God just worshiping. Come on, open up your mouth and let's just begin to give the Lord glory for his goodness and for his grace that he has extended over our lives in the mighty name of Jesus. Father, we bless you today. We ask you to come and dwell with us, come and rest with us, come and abide with us, Father. We thank you for your love, for your mercy that never fails, that your, that your mercies are new every morning, that your grace is extended to us every single day, that there's not a moment that you have forgotten us or you have forsaken us. And so, Father, we bless you, we worship you, and we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you put your hands together and give the Lord a big round of praise? Hallelujah. You may be seated. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah is one of the most powerful Old Testament prophets. He is actually called the eagle-eyed prophet because he so prophetically can look through the annals of time and talk about Jesus almost as accurately as one of the 12 apostles or one of the four gospel writers that wrote about the Lord's life. Isaiah was called to minister in a very difficult time, a very difficult season in the nation and the life of Israel. And he begins his own personal autobiographical testimony of the call of God on his life. And he begins with these words, Isaiah chapter 6, starting at verse 1. He says, in the year that King Uzziah died. Comma. In the year that King Uzziah died, comma. Isaiah's relationship with Uzziah was very unique. 
they were brethren. They were relatives. Some have said that Uzziah was actually, the king was Isaiah's uncle. Some have said that they were cousins. But whatever it was, there was a close familial tie to them. One Bible scholar said that Uzziah is second only to Solomon in all that he did to build up Judah as a nation. He starts well as a young leader. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles 26, verse 5, that Uzziah sought God, and as long as he sought God, God made him prosper. Listen, you want the Lord to prosper you, you want the Lord to bless you, you want the Lord to establish you, seek his face. Verse 6 of 2 Chronicles 26, talking about Uzziah, says that he broke down the walls of his enemies. Verse 7 says he triumphed in battle against his foes. Verse 8 says kings from surrounding nations paid tribute to Uzziah. Verse 9 says he built towers and fortified walls. Verse 10 says he dug many wells and he was a farmer because he loved the dirt. Verse 11 says he had a standing army of fighting men, and 12 and 13 begins to describe those men. Verse 14 says he had a standing army with shields and spears and helmets and body armor and bowls and slings to cast stones. 2 Chronicles 26, verse 15 says of King Uzziah, he made devices in Jerusalem. He was innovative. He invented skillful men to build towers and corners, to shoot arrows and large stones. His fame spread far and wide, for he was marvelously helped until the Lord made him strong. And verse 16 is probably one of the saddest texts in the Bible. Second Chronicles 26, 16, it says of Uzziah, but when he became strong, his heart was filled with pride. And that is what led to his downfall. Students, let me tell you. Isaiah walks into the temple that day because his uncle had died. But I believe he walked in with a heavy heart because Isaiah was there. He was alive. He witnessed the greatness that his uncle had in leading the nation. And he also watched the tragic end of how his uncle got smitten with leprosy as judgment and was expelled from the temple, from the throne room, and had to live in exile until he died. It was Uzziah's death that forced Isaiah into God's house. It was, it was the heaviness of his soul that caused him to say, I've got to get to the Lord's house. I don't know how to make sense of what has happened to me in my life. Listen, Psalm 61 verse 2 says, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that's higher than I. There is no place that you can flee to, that you can run to like the presence of God. Isaiah knew in the midst of his brokenness and grief and trying to work through both the greatness and the failure, both the life and the death of his uncle. He walks into God's house almost bare and broken, and he says, God, you got to help me make sense of this. In the year that Uzziah died, comma, 
was to say, I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a throne, high and lifted up with the train of his robe that filled the temple. Listen, Judah's earthly king was dead, but the heavenly king was still very much alive. There are times when we need a revelation of what reality really is, that it's not what we're going through in the moment. It's not what we're experiencing right now. There is a reality that God still sits on the throne, that he still reigns high, that he was and is and forevermore ever will be, and that he is the constant in a life that is filled with change. Amen. And Isaiah goes through and he says in verse 2, And above the Lord who was high and lifted up, he says that the seraphim sat. Each had six wings. Two covered his face. Two covered his feet. Two, they flew. And they one cried to another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And then Isaiah becomes keenly aware of his own sinfulness, his own brokenness, and the brokenness of his generation. Listen, never lose sight of the fact that you are a product of your generation, and the reason God has chosen to raise you up at this time and at this season is because this generation needs a prophetic witness. This generation needs a word from God. This generation needs men and women that can grab the Bible in one hand and proclaim the truth of the Lord without cowardness or fear, but will stand up and rise up and say, thus saith the Lord. That is the hope. That is the longing. That is what's needed. He says, woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst people of unclean lips. And he says, one of these angels, seraphim, flew over and and having a burning coal in his hand. He tucks it and touches his lips and he says, your iniquity is purged and your sin is taken away. And in this moment, Isaiah is working through the grief of his uncle and, and the loss of his life and the loss of Uzziah's tainted legacy. And he's working through the brokenness of his own life and the brokenness of his generation. He just happens to hear a question uttered by this great God who is high and lifted up. A question that I would say to you still is being requested today. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah, when he heard this, he said, here am I, send me. Oswald Chambers says, Isaiah was in the presence of God, and he overheard the call. His response was performed in complete freedom. Aren't you glad to know that the call of God is not a call of bondage? It is not a call of fear. God wants people that will say yes to him. It was a call that was accepted in complete freedom and he could only say here am I Lord send me the call of God every generation that call is going forth the Lord is looking for those who will hear and will heed his call 
He sought our father Abraham and called him from his father's house to a land that he would show to him. He called Moses when he saw that bush that burned but was not consumed. He, he spoke to a young Samuel who was instructed to say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Elijah just passed by this young man that was plowing oxen and his mantle fell upon him and he called a barbecue, slaughters all of his oxen and takes the yoke and makes a bonfire and begins to follow after Elijah. There are people, the call of God is still going forth in our generation, in our time. It is your call. Lift your hands and say with me, it's my call. This is your call. Listen, number one, three things I want to tell you about your call. Number one, you have to honor your call. Say that with me. I have to honor my call. Listen, respect your call. Hold your call in high esteem. Reverence your call. Never lose sight of the fact that the God of heaven called you. He called you not because you are complete, but because we are all insufficient. He calls us not because we are whole, but because we are broken. He called us not because we are the smartest or the wisest, not because of the, our intellect, but very much in spite of what we have to offer. He calls us not because of our pedigree. He calls us because he wants us to leave our own lasting legacy. Paul addresses this in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 26 to 29. He says, listen, brethren, not many of you are wise according to the flesh. Not many of you are mighty. Not many of you are noble, but you were called. God has chosen foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are what? Mighty. And base things in the world so that the things that are despised he has chosen. He chose those things that are not to bring to nothing things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. Honor your call. Never, never do anything that's going to defile your call. Walk in integrity in your call. Number one, honor your call. Number two, cultivate your call. Cultivate. Can you say that with me? Cultivate. Really? Really? Cultivate your call. Come on. It's your call. We cultivate our call by nourishing our relationship with who? With him. Listen to me. We must create an environment in our life that maintains an open heaven over us. We must remember that the Lord called, him, called us to him first. He wants us to know him. He is our first love. He is the center of our focus. He is our reward. Mark chapter 3, verse 13 and 14 says these words, that he went up, the Lord went up to the mountain, and he called to him those he wanted for himself. He called you because he wants you. They came. And he appointed the 12 that they might be with him. 
and he might send them out to preach. There's an old song that says, without him, I can do nothing. Without him, I'd surely fail. Oh, without him, I would be drifting like a ship without a sail. Listen to me. You can have all the titles and the positions and all of the degrees, but if you forget the Lord in the midst of it, what have you gained? Nothing. One of the greatest expository preachers, and he was, he died professor emeritus of preaching at Gordon Cromwell University, Haddon Robinson, said that preachers fail as Christians long before they fall as preachers. We get in love with our titles and positions and the trappings, and we forget that the Lord called us to none of that. He called us to him. Honor your call. Cultivate your call. And lastly, you got to flow with your call. Say it with me. Flow with your call. All right. I'm limited on time, so I'm not going to bother with you all. But you know you ain't doing me right. Flow with your call. There is a theological term that describes the Trinity known as the perichoresis. It talks about the interaction, interconnection, and interdependence that the Trinity has within itself. Theologians have simply called the perichoresis the dance. It explains how the Trinity knows how to move and flow and function one to another. In other words, they don't trip over each other. They don't get in each other's way. They know how to move and, and majestically flow one with another. As one leads, the other two follows, and the other takes the lead, the other two follows, and they're all there to complement each other, never to complete, compete with each other. And I would submit to you, my brothers and sisters, that there is a dance about your call that you have to flow with God flowing with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Let the Father define your ministry. Let the Son set an example for you of ministry. And let the Spirit impact and influence your ministry. Dance. Dance with your assignment. Dance as you move title by title, role by role, place by place, event by event, season by season. Dance. Dance in the desert. Dance in the difficulty. Dance in the midst of tears. Dance when you feel like you want to quit. Dance when you feel frustrated. Dance when you're even being misunderstood. Dance when you feel discouraged. Just never lose your grip on God. I know that today, Professor Edmund, is a day of discipleship, but they told me I had until 1020 to speak, and it is Excuse me, 11.20. It is 11.10. I'm going to ask you to stand. As I was preparing this devotion for you, I just got to the end, and this song swelled up in my spirit. And one of the lines is that don't give up on God because he won't give up on you. It's a song by Darwin Hobbs that talks about the God of Ephesians 3.20. That God is able to do just what he said he would do. He's going to fulfill every promise that he made to you. Don't give up on God. And he won't give up on you. He's able. Listen, I feel like we're at the end of the semester. And I'm around campus. I'm up leading class. And I can tell you there's a sense of joylessness on campus right now. 
I can tell you that there's a sense of weariness and fatigue on campus. See what I want you to do. This is my time. I'm taking my time that was allotted to me to preach to you. But I want you to step out from your, from your place you're standing. I want you to come forward. I want you to come forward. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dr. Ellington. And I should ask the sound team to play that song for us. But, Pastor, do you know, Doc, can you sing it? Yeah, would you sing it for him? Would you just lift your hands to the Lord? And here's what I want you to do. I want you to take the next five minutes or so, and I just want you to just begin to just say, Lord, if I've lost you along the way, help me reconnect with you. If, if I've grown weary or tired in my calling, help me to reconnect with you. That my call is not about the position or the seat, or the office. It's about digging down and finding the Lord and listening to his voice. Listen, it was in that cave that Elijah said, Lord, just let me die. And God met him there. And when the prophet felt like his life was over, the Lord said, no, you still got more work to do. Don't give up on God, and he won't give up on you. Come on.